Is that better? All right. So uh, when uh, the question that I just asked that you would not have heard because I didn't have my microphone on is what expectations did you come with this morning? When, when you got up this morning um, and you, you said to yourself, I'm going to go to church, was, was the expectation possibly that I'm going to come in, I'm going to kind of pay my dues, and then, and then uh, we're going to get on with the day because it's, it's Labor Day weekend. And, and just to be perfectly honest with you, uh, that, that has been my experience in the past. Uh, I remember a time when, when I was growing up and we just kind of said, you know, part of what we do on Sunday is we go to church. And that's how we start our week, and that's the way it's going to be. And so as a young person, I was, I was uh, saved when I was nine. I actually taught Sunday school when I was ten, as odd as that sounds. Uh, very small children, but our church let our, our children be involved in ministry, which I'm grateful for uh, even to this day. But, you know, taught Sunday school when I was ten and uh, just went to church. That's just what we did on Sunday morning. And then we got on with life. And, you know, because we did what we were supposed to do, and so we could then live the way that we wanted to live because we'd gone to church. And the reason I bring this up this morning is I, this is what I've experienced in my own life, even before ever becoming a pastor or being in, engaged in full-time ministry, is that, that that was never God's plan for our lives. His, his plan was never for you to get up on Sunday morning or even think about it on Saturday night, set the alarm clock, got to get up, got to go to church so that we can get on with the things that we really want to do, the things that we really enjoy, the things that we're really looking forward to. If, and if that's kind of your mindset, again, I, I have, I, the last thing I want to do is speak any condemnation on you. I'm admitting to you this morning that, that that's been part of my past experience. It's just like, this is what we have to do. You know, you gotta, you gotta go through this. I remember at a very young age, you guys won't remember these TV shows, but I remember if the pastor got done quickly enough, I could go home and watch the Marx Brothers, or I could watch, um, I forget now, I Love Lucy, or something that most of you will never remember. It was like, if, if he gets done on time today, I get to go home and watch the shows that I want to watch, and play outside, and do all those great things. And, and there's a part of me that just wants to say, I, I sort of understand that. This is my hope and desire for you today. I hope that you would embrace, as a church, who God has called you to be in this community, uh, in this state, and around the world. Because I think it's such a bigger picture than what we visualize, maybe, or even expect on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Like, well, what if this is true? What if God intends to use this church, which this church meaning you as individuals, to reach people right now in this community in such a manner that their eternal destinies will be changed forever because of your desire for them to know the Jesus that you're worshiping this morning. Like, what if that's God's plan? I think it is, but what if? Let's just leave room for the possibility that you're wondering or you're not absolutely sure that's the case. What if? What if that's the case? Not only that, what if God wants to take First Baptist Crothersville and say to your state, Look what happens when a group of people decide to come together and say, forget about what we've been through. Forget about the, the, the lack of money it appears that we have or the challenge that we have with, with getting people to come or, or forget, you know, I don't mean forget about the people who've left, but forget about the hardships that we've gone through. And let's just think about what the Lord wants to do. Because let me just say this to you this morning. It is not unusual for God to prune something that he's preparing to grow. 
right? It's not unusual for God to do that. He prunes it so that it can grow a little bit bigger and a little bit better than it ever would have been had he not done some pruning. And I'm not suggesting that he's pruned people away. I'm suggesting that maybe God's doing a work in your heart this morning in such a manner that his desire is for something far greater to occur than you've ever seen in this church. What if? What if that's the case? Do we serve a God like that? I think we do. What if God wants to use First Baptist Crothersville to reach a people group in a faraway place that you may never see, people you may never meet, but because of your willingness to give, they will be saved, they will come to know Jesus Christ, and they will lead others to, to uh, know and to follow, believe in him as well. What, what if that's part of the plan? Can I let, let you in on a little secret? I would not have come this morning had I not thought that that's a possibility. I really do believe that God has such a, a, a huge plan for his people and his church, and it often goes beyond what we wake up to believe in on Sunday morning. Because some of us this weekend want to get on with Labor Day weekend. We got plans, and we got activities, and we've got some fun. We're off work tomorrow. We, we want to enjoy the weekend. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there's an opportunity for us to take something away from God's Word this morning to better understand exactly how God intends to use us to grow his kingdom. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Mark chapter 4 with me. And it's in Mark chapter 4 that we see a very familiar passage. This passage is, is called a couple different things. In some of your, the translations of the Bibles that you use, it may say uh, the parable of the soils. It may say the parable of the sower. In actuality, it's a very, very familiar and popular passage. How many of you have heard Mark 4 Verses 1 through 20 taught on before the parable of the soil. How many of you have heard of that? Raise your hand if you have. If you've ever heard that taught on before. Wow, I thought there would be more. In fact, I thought my, my anticipation was and expectation was that every single one of you have heard this passage taught in some way before. My heart's desire is that God would, would uh, teach us something new this morning. Either something that we've forgotten and not put into place or something new and fresh that he wants us to hear this morning. Because this is my, my takeaway from the time of study that I've had in preparation to sharing with you today. I think that the plan that God has for your church goes beyond what you see right now. And I think by faith, when we look through those eyes and not through our physical eyes, but by faith we see uh, the possibilities of what God would want to do with a people group who was, is devoted to serving him and, and whose lives are concentrated on um, being exactly where he wants us to be and doing the things exactly the way that he wants us to do them. When we live lives like that, the, the sky's the limit, right? The, the potential is tremendous. And I just wonder why churches don't embrace this and, and at least give it a try. Let's just give it a try that, that whatever... God wants his best, and whatever is best is going to be far more glorious than anything you and I could uh, come up with in our plans for what a church is supposed to be. I hear this question asked a lot. Well, what is our purpose in life? Why, why did God put me on this planet in s such a time as this, in such a place as this? What is his intention uh, for me in the years that, that he's given me on this earth? And I really think the plan works hand-in-hand hand with what we all know is the Great Commission. 
The, the Great Commission is, is found in Matthew 28. It's the last thing that Jesus says. You don't have to turn there because we're in Mark 4, but, but just as a reminder, again, a passage that you're all familiar with, starting in verse 18, Jesus reminds us, all authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he's essentially saying is, whatever you've heard, whatever anybody else says, this negates it all. This is the single most important person in the world, and I'm telling you exactly what I want you to know before I go to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Incredibly important information. And so this is what he says. He says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to, while you're doing that, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So that means I want you to know God's word. I want you to study God's word. I want you to teach God's word. I want you to live God's word. I want, I want you to be vessels of light and love and passion for, for the kingdom work that I have for you. And if you desire to live in that manner, there will be great things that occur through your lives. Right? So, and he says at, at the end of that passage, he says, just remember this. When you do this, he'll be with you always. I'll be with you every step of the way, guiding you, directing you, empowering you. So, so if we're doing that, if you and I are doing that, God's not only well pleased, there's going to be fruit that comes from that because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's not only working in us, but in the hearts and the lives of those that we reach out to. That's what Mark 4 is really all about. I don't know if you've uh, suffered some some disappointments when you're sharing Jesus with people and they just don't seem to be interested, you know? And you're like, how can you not get this? He is so good and he is so loving and he's offered us so much. How, how can you not believe in him? Like, what do you got that's better than Jesus, right? Nothing. Why don't you believe in him? And I've gone through times like that. The funny thing about my life right now is I spend a lot more time with Christians than I do with non-Christians. And so I actually have to do this kind of like date night with my wife. I have to schedule date night with my wife. That's kind of sad because uh, I have to spend time with her. Uh, I have to calendar time with her so that I don't miss opportunities to be with her. But, but the interesting thing about that is when, when I calendar that and I make sure that I spend time with her, it's almost always really, really good. I mean, it's a good plan for me as a husband. It's also a good plan for her as a wife and us as a couple to grow together. So scheduling that time is important. Likewise, I have to schedule time to go spend time with unbelievers or, or people that, that don't go to church or don't follow Jesus and believe in him. And so because I have to do that and, and I have to schedule that time, uh, I, because I spend so much time with, with believers, almost every night of the week, uh, I go to places where I can find people who may not know him and just introduce them to him. Just say, hey, well, you know, where do you go to church and what do you believe about Jesus? And, and those kind, I ask those kind of questions and share the Bible with them. Most of the time, quite frankly, they seem uninterested, most of the time. But every once in a while, someone goes, tell me more. I'm interested in knowing more, and I've got an opportunity not just to share with them at that brief time that we have together, but to invite them to our church and say, hey, come, come here more. I'm surrounded by people who not only believe in him and know him, they love him, and uh, they'll love you if you come and, and join us. So that's kind of how we do evangelism. Mark 4 is really a teaching on what to expect when you're being the church, when you're doing the things that he would have, when you're doing the things that God would have us to do. So let's, let's read the first nine verses together and, and see what he has to say about this. 
Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in, this, in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Look at verse 9 with me. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So this is, this is really a, a, a story, an illustration, a parable that Jesus is sharing with people who are following him. And apparently Jesus is amassing large crowds right now. In fact, so many people are there that in order for them to hear Jesus, he's got to get into a boat and kind of row off the shore of, of the Sea of Galilee, a very familiar place to him, to share this information with them. There's so many people around him that had he stood and all of you stood around him, the people in the back wouldn't be able to hear or see him. And, and he wanted that to happen. He wanted them to hear those words. And so he gets in a boat, he sits down, they row him out a little ways, and he shares what we just read with people. Now the interesting side note to all of this is he's speaking to them in an illustration, right? It's a parable. He's not being direct about exactly what he's meaning about this. On the surface, it sounds like a great story. I mean, apparently it has something to do with agriculture and the society of the people that he's speaking to at that time. They're agrarian, so they know full well the story of, of seeds and sowing and, and, and this planting part and then something grows and you harvest it. They understand the verbiage. But because it's a parable, they don't understand the spiritual meaning behind it. They, they do not understand that Jesus is speaking about something far deeper than what they came to know and or even expect by his teaching. Now, quite frankly, the biggest reason that he is drawing such a large crowd is because of the miracles right? Most of them are thrill seekers because Jesus has been healing people. He's been casting demons out. He's been raising people from the dead. And so Jesus has become the greatest show on earth and people are coming to see him because of that. They're thrill seekers. They, they want to see the amazing things that they've heard told about what Jesus is doing for the most part. They're not primarily believers. Some are, especially the guys that are following him. His disciples, they, they are believers. They're with him and, and, uh, and, and, and doing the things that he says as well as hearing the things that he has, has to share with them. But there aren't many apparently that are believers. They're there for the show. And that's not what Jesus comes to, to do in this particular time. So he tells them a parable. Background information about a parable. They are for believers. A parable is, is for a believer to know a depth of teaching that an unbeliever will never understand without the Holy Spirit teaching them. Now, in the case of Jesus, Jesus goes on to explain the parable to those who don't understand what he's saying. That's what, that's, they, they go, listen, we, we don't get it. What, 
there's got to be something more to this than just a farming story, right? Jesus, and he's like, exactly. There's a, there's a whole lot more to this. And, and this is the way that Jesus is communicating with his people from this point forward, with, with crowds. In fact, if you turn forward and look to verses 33 and 34, Jesus, or Mark shares with us, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So from this point forward, Jesus is communicating through illustrations and stories. He's not explaining the details. Why? Why, why wouldn't he want everyone to know the depth of the teaching that he's offering those who believe? Well, because he knows the condition of their hearts. Even if he shared the intimate uh, insider information about the details of the stories that he's telling them, it would, it would go wasted. Because these people do not believe in him. They do not trust in him. They will not follow him because of the condition of their hearts. So this particular parable has sweeping impact on everything that we do as believers and followers of Christ. Because I believe uh, that what Jesus just shared with us is the evangelistic method that he would have his people follow in, in sharing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. This is really the way that Jesus is saying it's going to be once you effectively become my light and my salt in the world that I've placed you in. So his, his desire for you, if you are a believer this morning, is to leave this morning with a better understanding of what he just taught us, what he just said and what he's teaching us today. Here, here's the other side of that, is that if you're not a believer and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, it'll just look like another story. It'll be just something else that's added to your repertoire of knowing a little bit about the Bible and not a whole lot about Jesus Christ, the man and, and the God that came to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be saved. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside. The crowd diminishes. And this is what he goes on to say in verses 10 through 12. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven." Now, he just quoted a passage from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And what he's essentially saying is, you can talk until you're blue in the face. And they may look like they're listening. They may make eye contact with you. They may be paying attention to what I said, but they can't hear me because they don't know me. And if you don't know me, then you won't understand what I'm saying. The words will come out. They'll penetrate your ears. You'll hear the words. You won't understand the meaning because you're not a believer. You're not a follower. You've not, you've not given yourself to the light in the life of Jesus Christ. So many will hear what Jesus has to say, but few will understand. And there are the other synoptic gospels that we find, Matthew and Luke, in Matthew 13 and Luke 8, they say essentially the same thing. In fact, let me show you something that Matthew shares with us in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 13, the same story. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. 
Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. If they weren't this way, they'd get it. But because they are that way, they don't. They don't understand what I'm talking about. Luke's gospel depiction is very, very similar to this. So, What we're really essentially talking about here is the power of the Holy Spirit working in a person's heart in such a way that that heart becomes softened and fertile and and fallow and really receptive to the two elements that we just saw spoken of here that are essentially important for this to occur. The the two elements are this. You you see the seed. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message of Jesus. Essentially, it's Jesus. The seed. It's good. The the seed is good. This seed is going to bear much fruit in the right soil. Likewise, the sower, you don't see any adjectives used for this sower. It doesn't say that it's a good sower or a bad sower. It doesn't say it's a young sower or an old sower. It doesn't say it's a a newborn sower or a mature Christian sower. It doesn't say it's male or female. It does not matter who the sower is. Well, actually it does. They've got to be a believer. The sower here is everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. You, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you are a sower of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not, you're supposed to be. And really, you are, even if you don't know it, because you, you, if you admit to believing in Jesus, which you should admit to that, then you are a walking testimony and a witness of his power and his love and his light. And people will associate who Jesus is with who they see you as. And uh, so it's, it's very, very important, that combination. So his believers and his followers are privileged to know exactly what it is that Jesus would have them to know, because they do have ears to hear. That's, that's the whole thought here. And Jesus wants you to understand exactly how we are to apply this when we leave First Baptist Crothersville's parking lot this morning. Jesus considers believers to be his friends. You know, I, I, I am a servant and a slave to Jesus Christ, just as Paul says that he is as well. But do you know because he's letting us in on this insider information, he considers us to be his friends? Listen to what he says in John 15, verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So Jesus calls you a friend if and when you do what he commands. I mean, you are in the inside of the work that Jesus wants to do through his people. And, and uh, every once in a while I ask God this. I say, God, is the message that you would have me to share this morning, is it the right message? Is it accurate? I pray this every, every week. And every once in a while, just before I step on stage, I'll say, is this an accurate message? Because woe to me if I mislead anybody here. There's this millstone tied to the neck of a person who misleads his children that just bothers the heck out of me, you know? So I'm like, I, I want to make sure I'm sharing the right information with you. The second question I ask is this, is this the right audience? If this is an accurate message, and this is the message that would have me to share, have I come to meet with a group of people who are going to be receptive, or are they going to reject 
the message that you would have me to share with them. I do that in my own church on a regular basis, and my prayer has been that God would soften our hearts for the things that he's revealed to me this week, and that I pray that he's revealing to you today. So Jesus wants his disciples to know and understand what he is, what he has just shared with them, and he doesn't He's not overly concerned about those who won't understand it because there's just work that has to be done in their hearts in order for that to happen. So in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he goes into his explanation. What he just told us is, if you're going to get any of them, you've got to get this one first. And if you don't get this one first, you're not going to get any of them. So these parables are going to be really important from this time forward. I want you to understand them. Let's start with this one. Let's make sure you got this one down. In verse 14, he says, the farmer sows the word. Right now, I don't know what you do for a living. Do you have any farmers in here? Anybody that farms? If you're a farmer, praise God, boy, this fits really well for you. If you're not a farmer by vocation, you are a farmer by invitation this morning. God's saying to you and to I, you're the farmer. And if you believe in me, you're to be the farmer, right? And it's, it's anyone who believes. Let's not leave anybody out, as we said earlier, right? We already said the seed is the word of God. And, and if you're one of those people, my wife is an introvert, and she's extremely introverted. My, my son is also an uh, a, a introvert. And if you're introverted, you get this. They, they really don't want to be around crowds of people. And if they have to be around crowds of people, they really don't want to do something uncomfortable because they're already uncomfortable, right? And so we talk about this as a family. God wants to use you in the same dynamic way as he wants to use me. And my wife and my son will reach people that I typically won't reach as well when they explain to them, this is so awkward for me. This is so uncomfortable for me, but I love you enough to share the truth about Jesus Christ with you, to tell you this. And in their own unique way, they'll share Jesus with people, even though they're introverts. Well, essentially, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, I, I want you to share the truth of Jesus with others, even though many of them will reject what you're sharing. In fact, Paul says this really well in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So you're not responsible for them believing, nor are you responsible for the harvest at the end. You're responsible simply to share the seed that God's given you, the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we sow. What's important here is the soil. It's the heart of the people that we're sharing the gospel with. So this is Jesus' explanation, beginning in verse 15. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. This is the hardened soil. And these people would understand this depiction of the story because that's how they separated their crops, where you know we would use fences or, or even some, some other kinds of, of dividing crops. Back then, they would use paths. And that was actually how you would get from place to place. You could walk between, uh, because this was, again, a, a farming community, you would walk from one place to another between crops. And this hardened soil had been trampled over, and it was very, very hard. And Jesus says something that everyone in this room understands. If the seed lands on the top of the soil that's hard, it's never going to take root. It's never going to sink in. It's never going to produce fruit. In fact, more than likely, a bird's going to come and snatch it away before it does anything. It may dry up. It may blow away. More than likely, 
it's going to be disposed of in some way, and it's not going to do anything, right? So he's saying some of the people that you share this with, they're not going to listen, and they're not going to hear it, and they're not going to pay attention, and it's just, it's just going to be gone. The moment it leaves your mouth, there's nothing that happens after that point. Now keep in mind that Jesus is dealing with religious leaders of this time that have these hardened hearts. In fact, they're stiff-necked, according to what Jesus was telling them. They get so angry at him for reminding them of that, that they attempt to kill him. They're going to throw him off a cliff at one point when he's teaching to them about being hard-hearted and stiff-necked people. These are the religious leaders. They didn't get it. They not only didn't understand who Jesus was, they didn't believe in him. They were not going to do anything that he says. They're because their hearts were hard. Then he goes on to explain the next kind of soil, or the next kind of heart, in verse 16 and 17. He says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy, but since they do not have, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So these are shallow emotional responders. And I, I am, am guilty of learning how to manipulate a crowd to say the things that I want them to say so that I can walk away believing that many people got saved. Early in my ministry, I learned that if I would say this, if I would say to you, if you do not want to die and spend eternity in hell, all you have to do is say this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and life. Take over, and I will be a follower of you. Now, some of you are thinking right now, that is what you're supposed to say. That's what you're supposed to believe. Saying it doesn't count for anything, right? The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's, it's faith that it's not only the truth, but it is a way of life for those who now believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the old is gone. The new is, is, is happening. My, my heart has changed. My mind has changed. My actions have changed. My goals have changed along with my eternal destination. Right? I am a new creation in Christ when I believe. So I put aside the old way of thinking. I put aside the old way of life. Not because I'm able to do that. If I'd been able to do that, I would have done it long before I believed in Jesus. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in me. Right? Acts 1.8. Right? You will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in all these great places. Well, well, obviously I need his power to do these things and I need his power to not do the things that Christians shouldn't do any longer, right? And, and I'm going to go on record as saying this. Do I still make mistakes? Every day I still make mistakes. I don't say something to someone that I should. I say things that I shouldn't to some, right? I think thoughts that I should not think. All those sins are just as bad as any sin that you're thinking of right now that Christians shouldn't do. Those are just as bad. So I'm not claiming that we ever stop sinning completely. I'm saying sin bothers me a whole lot more than it used to. And my desire is to serve the Lord in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him. And the only way that will ever happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads me and guides me to the obedient life that he's called me to surrender to in him. So when, when I read this, I, I'm thinking, well, you know, the moment trouble moves in, Jesus takes a, a back seat to figuring out how to work through this problem. Right? There's no root to their faith. There's no nourishment to that root. There's no understanding that Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. Right? There's a rhyme and reason to the trouble that you're facing in this world today. So people who want Jesus for just self-satisfaction and, and for uh, uh, you know, belief that if I say these words, I'm going to be saved. So they say words, but they don't repent. And they don't change direction in the way that they're living through the power of the Holy Spirit, then I think that's the soil that is here. You know, when John says to us that we will, that Jesus, Jesus says, I've come that they may live and to live life to the full in John 10.10. 10, you know what he's saying? He's saying up and down, sideways and backwards, uh, good and bad. That's a full life, right? A full life means you're going to experience a wide variety of things and I'm going to guide you. I've, I've come so that you can experience the full life, which also includes eternal life with me in heaven. So the end result will always be good. Genuine conversion produces humility in the heart of the believer rather than pride. Right? We're, our hearts are softened. We're meek. We're mild. We're gentle. We're loving. We're kind. That's the process that we're going through as the Holy Spirit continues to move in our hearts and in our lives. The Bible says that we're to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. Deny the natural and invite the supernatural to begin to move in our hearts and lives. And, and that's what's being described in, in this passage. Mark 18 describes the thorny soil. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That word thorn there is the word acantha. And the word acantha is, uh, is, is really describing a kind of a, a prickly weed. It's a, it's a thorny weed that was prevalent in, in, in biblical times. In fact, it's the same word that's used in Matthew 27, 29 for the crown of thorns that Jesus wore or bore um, when he was being crucified and, and uh, beaten. So the idea is this, that this thorny weed will choke out the life of the things that it's surrounded by. The healthy growth is choked out by the unhealthy. And, and for those of you that deal with weeds, I do. I, I'm the word, world's worst gardener. I mean, I'm the last person that should be teaching this lesson on uh, agriculture because my yard is a mess. And I will put this weed and feed out. I don't know if you guys use that or not, but I use it to get rid of the weeds. And then like my whole yard is gone. And so someone explained to this, and, and I'm such, a, such so ignorant about this. I said to them, I said, I don't get it. This weed and feed is supposed to make my yard thrive. And they said, it's because you have a yard full of weeds. So the weed and feed kills the weeds, and that's what most of your yard is, is weeds. Well, unfortunately, that's kind of the depiction that we see in this story as well. Most of what Jesus is sharing is going to fall to the ground. It's going to get choked out by the desire for other things. The people that are being described here want Jesus, but they want the things of the world with Jesus. They aren't willing to let go of the things of this world and to embrace who Jesus is in their lives on a day-by-day basis, right? They want both. And, and how often do we hear this preached in the world that we live in today? You can have both, right? You can, in fact, that's God's desire for you to have both. I don't know what Bible they read, but that is not what the Bible describes, right? Deny yourselves Take up your crosses and follow me does not sound like fill your pocketbooks full of money. It does not sound like that's God's desire. Now, will he grant some wealth, some money? Praise God, he does. Examples 
are, are obvious in the Bible. I think Abraham was a wealthy man. I think Joseph became a wealthy man. I, you know, they're, they're, Solomon. I mean, men of God have had wealth because God deemed it so, also often because they are willing to give a lot of what they have away. And so I'm not, I'm not preaching against the possibility of a believer having wealth, but I will say this, it is easier for a, a needle to go through a camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Those are Jesus' words. So with that being said, most of us can't handle that well. The rich young ruler is the classic example. I'm doing everything that I think I'm supposed to be doing, and yet uh, I'm still struggling. Uh, will you please tell me that I'm saved? Yeah, you're not saved. What you need to do is sell everything you have, give some to the poor, and then you can follow me. He's not willing to do that. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And James shares some pretty harsh comments about the love for the things of this world in James 4.4. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So just keep this in mind. Uh, if we're going to pursue worldly treasure and worldly wealth, even worldly fame, then we're going to miss the opportunity for Christ to be seen in us and to know and follow him. And therefore, we're going to miss the incredible journey that God has for us in, in believing and following his perfect will for our lives. These guys know this. I mean, again, be reminded that who he's teaching this to, the disciples, they've got one among them who's going to be proven to, despite the fact that he's preaching Jesus and following Jesus, he's got a, a love for money, and he's got a love for popularity and fame. And so he sells Jesus out. His name is Judas. And in 2 Timothy um, 4.10, there's a guy named Demas who Paul says, I, I need some more help. Demas kind of gave in to buckled under the pressure of the love for the world and love for money. So the, the Bible talks about people who can't handle the desire for both. We're to let go of the world and we're to cling to Christ. So here's the final soil. Mark 4, verse 20. Others like seed on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. I love sharing Jesus with people who go, I want him. I need him. My life's a mess, and I have no more answers, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. Can you tell me who this Jesus is and how I can follow him? When that happens, whether you've told five people or 500 people and been rejected, can I tell you when that happens, it's the most amazing moment that you will ever experience. Um, I was with all three of my children when they were born. I was in the room, and I watched them be born. I think I caught a couple. I hope that's not too gross for you. But I remember, you know, being like an active part of those things. And it was amazing. Um, my wedding day was amazing. I mean, I, I realized what I was saying yes to and what she was saying yes to. For the rest of our lives, we're going to be intertwined as one, according to Scripture. It was amazing. As amazing as those two times or four times in my life have been, there has been nothing like the times when someone says, I want to know this Jesus. I believe. 
I want to learn. I, I want to be his, and I want him to be mine. When that happens, suddenly all the struggles, all the hardships, all the lack of understanding, all the the um, trouble that we face, all the bumpy roads, all the ups and downs, all of that kind of comes together, and it's like, God, this is why you've placed me here. So that in this moment, this person's eternal destiny is forever changed, and now they're going to bring honor and glory to your, your name. The chief sign of a transformed heart is a holy life because we live in obedience to the things that Jesus says to live for. And the chief sign of a holy life is a holy love. When we love others as Jesus loves us, people's lives will be forever changed. This is my challenge for you, church, that when we leave here today, we understand that you do not have to have an assigned pastor to your church to be the church. You do not have to have a vision cast before you. I know the Bible says that without vision, the people perish. Let me tell you where the vision comes from for all of us as pastors. Jesus Christ, you have the chief shepherd here among you. He is guiding and he is leading and he is telling me to tell you today, be the church. Fill these seats with people who don't know about Jesus so that when they come here, they will hear and believe and be baptized and they will tell others as well. Be the church that Christ has called you to be because he sent his son to die for you, to empower you with the Holy Spirit, to share him with others. That is our mission as believers and passionate followers of Jesus Christ. So as I prayed, I said, God, would you give me a word for First Baptist Crothersville? I want to go and I want to share with them what you want them to know. And all of this would be great. Here's what I believe he wants you to know. John 15, verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, I, I, I'm praying for your next pastor, and I'm praying that God will lead the person that he wants to be here to be here. But I can't find the word pastor in John 15. I don't know that it's necessary for what he's about to tell us to be true. That's all I'm saying. I'm the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here's your word. Remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Here's why. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So that's been my prayer for you, that you will remain in him as he remains in you. And as this journey, as a church, just explodes into everything that God would have it to be, if you'll embrace the word of God that's been shared with you today. I want to invite you to do something now, and, and uh, I know our praise team will be playing, Mark, during this invitation. Is that correct? So if you guys want to get ready, that'd be awesome. Michael and Ariel and Mark. Um, here, here's the thing that, that I, I want you to know. If I were to ask for a show of hands, and I said to you, how many here today believe in and follow Jesus Christ? 
my expectation would be that you would all raise your hand, unless you're not a hand raiser. Because I do know people, they tell me this from time to time, they're like, I don't care what the pastor says, I'm not raising my hand, right? It's not going to make me do something that I don't feel like doing, and who cares about that? He's really not paying attention anyway. Well, so forget about that. If I'm not going to have you raise your hand. But I would expect that everyone in here would say that they're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's my suggestion to you today. If you are, if you are, what we just read tells us that you're bearing good fruit. The very best fruit that you will bear will come from the seed that you sow in the lives of the hearts of those who believe. The Holy Spirit's working in their hearts, and it's like it's already it's set for you. Right? It's kind of like my daughter plays volleyball. It's kind of like the perfect set before she kills it. She tells me, Dad, it's so much more about the set than it is the kill. The kill is an arm swing. The set is what lines everything up. And so I'm saying to you today, the set is perfect for you. The word of God is perfect for you. And if you are a believer and passionate follower of Jesus Christ, then go sow seeds. Invite someone back to this church next week. And just say, hey, where do you go to church? I love my church. We're growing again. God's moving in the hearts of people there. We've got some dynamic things happen. I want you to come and hear and tell me what you think. And, and my prayer will be whoever shares with you next week shares the gospel. And then they'll believe and then they'll go share that with other people. That's what we've done in Ackworth, Georgia. We, we've told people if you're going to be part of what we're doing here, then you're going to have to be the mouthpiece for Jesus. And God will work in the people's hearts that you're sharing with and great fruit will come from that. Do you want that? Is that, is that what you want for your church? Is that what you want for your life? Who here is looking forward to hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? Right, I am. I don't think this passage teaches us that you have to move from 30 to 60 to 100 fold. In fact, I don't even think that was God's plan. Some of you are going to bear fruit 30 times. Some of you are going to bear yield about a 60 time yield. And some of you are going to do 100 times. And when you get your reward, you know it's all going to be the same. The reward's not based upon what you've done. The reward is based upon the faithfulness of what you've been given. So hear, hear me today. Let's start this revival with revolution in your heart and a desire for the things that Jesus desires for you. So here's what I want to say to you. Would you stand with me right now? Would you stand? Everybody stand. If you, don't, if you can't stand, that's fine. But if you would, that'd be great. Ask God what it is that he wants you to do before you leave. Does he want you to believe for the first time for real Jesus is Lord and Savior? I'd be honored to pray for you. If that's the case, come to me. I'll be down here in front. It'd be my honor. If you've never been baptized, that's a picture of what we just talked about. Being buried with Christ and being raised to new life after you've believed in Jesus. I, many of you have been baptized in many different ways. All of that's fabulous. Believer's baptism happens after you believe. If you've not been baptized, this church would love to baptize you. How about this? How about recommitting your life to Christ? And saying, from this point forward, God, if what Pastor Rick is sharing with me is supposed to be for me, then I want it to be for you. I'm giving myself to you fully today. If any of those decisions are the leading of the Holy Spirit, then say that to him this morning in your time of prayer as this great worship team leads us in this next song. God bless you.
Before I head back to Georgia, let me say this. I'm so proud of you. I love this church, and I love what God's about to do in the hearts of those that are here. And so you just keep doing what you're doing. Share the love of Christ with others. Trust him. Be the church. Allow his spirit to guide and and encourage and strengthen and embolden you to to be who he's called you to be. Here's my expectation. I'm going to keep track of you. I listen to your sermons on a weekly basis. I pay attention if you're here or not because I see you on Facebook Live. And here's what I'm saying. Let's grow. I mean, let's grow. Do you know how many people around us? I drove around before I came here. Do you know how many people I saw not going to church this morning in your community? They were outside. They were up. But they weren't going to church. didn't look like they were going to church. Let's get them in here. Let's be the church that God's calling us to be. And uh, I want to hear a good report. I want to hear lives are being changed. I want to hear growth is happening. I want to hear giving is going up. I want to hear good fruit is coming. You know why? Because I believe this. I believe the hearts of those who are here today is good soil. That's why you're here today. So serve him in the way that God would lead you to follow. Let me pray for you. Father, would you do this? Would you move in our hearts and our lives in such a way that we not only be your church, 
God, we'd be a thriving church. We'd be a growing church. We'd be a healthy church. Would you guide and direct us in a way that you would have us to go according to your perfect plan and your perfect will and, God, your perfect power that now lives within us. May we be that church. God, and direct the hearts of those who leave here today. Soften them for the things that break your heart, Father, and let us live for the things that honor and glorify your holy name. And we ask that in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.